And when Saul wasn't fighting the perennial enemy of Israel, which was the Philistines, he was fixated on scouring the earth really to kill David. So it was almost like a part-time job. When he wasn't fighting the real enemy, he was going after David. And it's interesting that even though God had, uh, God had Samuel anoint David to be king, it would be a number of years, as you know, before David would actually come to the throne. And it was this time of great difficulty that God used to form and shape the character of David. You Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. In the previous chapter, God miraculously delivered David by drawing Saul away to fight the Philistines at the moment Saul was ready to capture David. But when Saul was done with the Philistines, he went back to pursuing David. We often wish that our next victory would be a permanent victory. We wish that spiritual enemies who pursue us, like Saul pursued David, would simply give up and we wouldn't have to bother with them anymore. But even when we have victory and they are sent away, they come back and will keep coming back until we go to glory with the Lord. That is the only permanent victory we will ever find. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 24 in the book of 1 Samuel. Well, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. And because it's a short chapter, let's go ahead and uh, read it together. Or let me read it to you, actually, and then we'll go back, okay? We'll also be taking communion this, uh, this, this evening. So let me just back up two verses, uh, a couple verses, into chapter 23. Remember, David is on the run. It says, but a messenger came to Saul, right when Saul's about to close in on David and his men. It says in verse 27 of chapter 23, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore, Saul returned from pursuing David, went against the Philistines. So they called that place the rock of escape. And then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at Engedi, And that's the place that we just looked at. And so you kind of got an idea. So let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 24. It says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi." And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and, and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. <laughs> I like that. That's, the, that's what En Gedi means, is the rock uh, rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. And then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. 
And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Obviously, he was completely unaware and oblivious to how close he was to death. And uh, so David, verse 8, also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm. Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see... Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. And so it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And then he said to David, You are more righteous than I. For you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear to me now by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. And so David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So they went back into these caves in this area that we were just looking at just a few minutes ago. Let's go back to verse 1 there. So it's interesting, you know, David, he, he, he continues to follow, or excuse me, Saul continues to follow David, And when Saul wasn't fighting the perennial enemy of Israel, which was the Philistines, he was fixated on scouring the earth, really, to kill David. So it was almost like a part-time job. When he wasn't fighting the real enemy, he was going after David. And it's interesting that even though God uh, God had Samuel anoint David to be king, it would be a number of years, as you know, before David would actually come to the throne. And it was this time of great difficulty that God used to form and shape the character of David. As he is running, as he's concerned for his own life, there's something about being in distress for a very long time that really grates and it really forms the character of any person. Because you go through a lot of things in your mind. All of a sudden, your life becomes a lot more precious. Life itself becomes more precious because you realize that you're the hunted And so David, uh, God was using this incident in in his life 
to really form his character because he would be one of the best kings. He made his mistakes, there's no doubt, but he would be one of the greatest kings of Israel. And in order to do that, God had to bring him through great trials and great tribulations to bring him to this place. And remember that the forming of a character of any man or woman, it takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. I think we all know that. You know, when you think about uh, Moses, after all, the best teaching that, that the world could offer, the greatest schools that Moses went with when he was young in Pharaoh's home, that God would have to prepare him 40 years wandering in the desert, preparing him, tearing him down, basically just breaking him down so that God could finally use him again to do the thing that God had always desired to do, to cause Moses to be this deliverer for his people. And this was a 40-year preparation. (coughs) Excuse me. A 40-year preparation. It's often been said that the greater the work that the Lord has for a man or woman, the greater the preparation that's needed in that person. And I believe that's true. Because God needs to do the work inside of a heart to prepare a heart for what he has. And he's preparing you. He's preparing you. He has been preparing you for the things that you're doing right now. Your, your ministry may be not only your own family, but it may be the people in your own home, your family. <clears throat> but nonetheless, the Lord has been preparing I know that in my own life, the Lord had prepared me for 23 years. I didn't even know I was being prepared. But he is. He's preparing each of us. And, and be willing to do what the Lord would have you to do. So notice it says in verse 2 that Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel. And he went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats, which is this place in Gedi, the spring of the young goat. And um, again, it's a wonderful place. And a great place to hide. Uh, So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs, and David and his men were staying in the recesses. So Saul, some believe he was going in there to take a nap. Um, Others believe he was going in there to relieve himself. And I believe that was probably the case. And so while he's in there, he lays down his robe, and he goes over to another place, which is very common, to be away from your own clothing. And he would do his business and take a shovel and cover it up. And while he's doing that, David and the men are kind of in the dark recesses of the, of the cave. And David cuts off a, a, a piece of his robe. And, and again, in this area, there's tons of these kinds of caves. And some can hold and accommodate uh, a couple hundred men very easily. Um, many of them have collapsed now, but there's still caves back there that um, many can fit in. And so it says, the men of David said to him, this is your lucky day, David. <laughs> I will deliver, you know, the Lord is going to deliver Saul into your hand. And so David arose and he secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. This may not seem like a big deal to you, but a robe to a Jew meant something. Uh, it's actually called a, a, a zitziot, I believe is the pronunciation. And it's a hem that goes around the robe of, of Jewish men. And in Numbers 15, God commanded Moses to tell the people of Israel to make a blue borders on their garment. And, um, and so they would do that, and it would remind them, the blue hem would not only remind them that they were destined for heaven, but of the commandments of the God of heaven. And so that was a reminder for them, and a very practical understanding. And, and some of them would tie 
uh, tassels all around them, you know, 613 perhaps, you know, for the number of laws and things that the Jews had made. And, um, and the bigger the hem, sometimes that, that, that meant the richer the person. And so there was significance to this hem, and David cuts it off. And in cutting off this fringe, David was saying, in a sense, that Saul's pedigree, his position, his authority, were to be given to him. And that's why David would say afterwards, it smote his heart that he did that. He shouldn't have done that, because he knew what, he, what, what, what that meant and David didn't want to do that. He, he thought about it afterwards. Have you ever done something and you realized you, you regretted it afterwards? I think we all have. <laughs> That's just part of being human, isn't it? You do something and then you realize, oh, if I could just go back and catch those words and bring them back to me. If I could only undo what I did. Every one of us has had those things, those kinds of events in our life. And that was really what happened to, to David. So it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe off or a, a portion of it anyway. And you've you got to understand, this was, I called this message uh, 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 the proving of David. Because having Saul so close, the man who's been hunting him for years, and to have him so close would be easy to just snuff him out. And he didn't even have to do it himself. The blood could have been on his men. He could have just walked away and went outside and, you know, got a drink of water, or, 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 or did something else and let his men take care of it. But he didn't. He restrained the men, and this was a great test of David's character and also of his authority over the men who were with him. Because, again, he not only resisted, but he resisted the men as well. And this is what is called, folks, a clear and undefiled conscience. I love that. Clear and undefiled. Do you want a clear and undefiled conscience? How do you get a conscience that's clear and undefiled? Well, I can tell you it starts with the Word of God. It starts with you bathing yourself in the Word of God. It takes prayer. It takes a, 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 a purpose. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen just by putting yourself in neutral. You can never go in neutral as Christians. We always have to be moving forward or we're moving backward. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. But David had a clear and an undefiled conscience. Are you in a situation like David, maybe where you're, you're, it's bringing you to an end of yourself? Maybe you're not in that position now. Maybe you've been through something that has brought you to the end of yourself. Some, something, someone, some circumstances just grating against you, and you're just like, oh, God, if I could just get through this, I would do anything for you. I think we've all said that at some point. I know I have. I've made all these boasts to the Lord. Lord, if you would just get me out of this, I'll do this. And then he gets me out of it, and I go my own way. Literally, that's happened. And he's always gotten the better of me. But as we pray for patience and godly character, I believe the only way to accomplish this is through difficulty and hardship. Isn't it? The lessons we learn in the valley are the things of our life. Those are the instruments through which God uses to mold and to shape us into the men and women God wants us to be. There's no shortcut. There's no cliff's notes. There's no way of, of shortening that process. We, we have to go through it as Christians. And God will see to it. If you ask for patience, how can my patience grow unless I'm put in a place where I have to exercise patience? If I want to be a godly man or a godly woman, I, I've got to allow God to chip away that stuff. It never comes easy, folks. 
But with the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And don't let the world get you down when you find yourself getting really despondent and really discouraged because of all the things you're going through. Understand that God is working, especially in those times. Because anybody can be happy. Anybody can have circumstances where everything is going well. Anybody can have happiness in that regard. But to actually know God through the trial, through the difficulties, and to understand that he's working, do you understand that's the stuff of Christianity? That's where we are at. Don't be discouraged when you go through difficulties. In fact, uh, James and Peter, they all said the same thing. Don't be discouraged when you go through various trials and temptations. This is just part and parcel for being a Christian, for being a child of God. You're going to go through it. God's going to be rooting up. He's going to be exposing. And all the while he's doing that, he's, 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 he's putting stuff into you, the good stuff. He's rooting out the bad. He's plucking up and tearing down, and he's building up underneath. Does that make sense? He's doing it. He's doing it in all of you. He's doing it in me. This year has been the most difficult time in my entire existence. God has been doing that. He's been doing so many things on so many different levels. I, I literally am just... I look back and I'm just like, how did I do it? How did I make it? And God's just saying, it was me. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind. You were the one sustaining me and my wife and my family. But these lessons that we learn in the valley, these are the things that God uses. See, Jesus wants us to be more like him, doesn't he? We have to be conformed to his image. We have to be uh, sanctified. Sanctification is a daily thing. And unfortunately, the greatest lessons in our life seem to come through pain and suffering, not when everything is going well. Can you relate to that? It really is true. So don't be discouraged when you go through that. In verse 6, and he said to his men, David did, he said, The Lord forbid that I should do anything to my master, the Lord's anointed. Notice, David referred to him as his Lord, meaning his master. David was not confused about who the Lord really was. But David also knew he was a man under authority. And while Saul was still king, he was still a subordinate to Saul. And David was happy to be there until the Lord moved and removed Saul. But it wasn't going to be at the hand of David. It could have been. It could have been at the hand of David. We just saw it. We're going to see there's going to be another opportunity two chapters from now where David's going to have another opportunity to do the very same thing. And he doesn't do it. He waits upon the Lord. And that's a good lesson for us, to wait upon the Lord. David knew that murder was sin, and especially a king of Israel. God had anointed him, David, to be king through Samuel, and he knew it was just a matter of time. And it wasn't for him to to hasten the project. God is able to do these things. Seriously, God is able to do all these things in our life. A lot of times it just takes us to take our hands off the steering wheel. And it may take time for God to accomplish what he wants without you getting in the way. And believe me, folks, he will do it. If he's promised it to you, if he's doing something and you have that unction that he's doing something, get your hands off the steering wheel and let him work because he does a much better job. And you might have to wait a little bit longer, but when it comes to pass, it's going to be undeniable. And in the process, you are being prepared for whatever it is that he had called you to do anyway. So everybody wins here. Nobody loses. I love that. 
You know, David, he had this wonderful heart, and that's what made him a great man. You know, under the same circumstances, Saul would have taken David's life. He would have done it. But David waited again upon the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7 through 9, David, writing this psalm, he says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Isn't that, doesn't that sound like the Beatitudes? Doesn't that sound like Jesus in Matthew chapter 5? It is, it's like an Old Testament Beatitude. And again, the ends never justify the means. David knew he was to be king. This was his moment. He could have just done Saul in. He could have had somebody else do it. But he waited on the Lord in his timing, in his way. And David knew it was not his place to put his hand against the king. He knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. The battle belonged to the Lord. Isn't that exactly what David said to Goliath out in the field? In chapter 17 of, of, this, of this book. Remember when he, he was out there in the field talking to Goliath and what did he say to him? He says, then all the assembly, he's talking to, um, uh, to Goliath saying that he's going to take his head off of his shoulders. And he's going to feed his body to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's. It always has been. And it's good for me to know that. It's good for me to know that. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. Let God take care of it. He does a much better job, and you won't go to jail. I like that. Can I get an amen? Yeah. If we were in a Baptist church, I would say, Can I get a witness? So... So verse 7, so David, he restrained his servants, and Saul inevitably got up from the cave, went his way, and so David came after him, and he says, my Lord, the king, and Saul, in unbelief, he's like, I just came from that place, I hear David's voice, oh my goodness, I was that close to him, and I could have killed him, oh wait, I was that close to him, he could have killed me, (laughs) it's starting to dawn on him. And so David arose and went out to the cave. He said, My lord, the king. And when Saul stood, he looked behind him, and David stooped. Notice, he bows to the king. This man who was causing him so much grief. Are you able to do that with somebody who's seeking your life? I mean, honestly, think about it. Unless the Lord has control of our hearts, we are capable of doing a number of evil things. Don't ever think because you're a Christian that you have been walking with the Lord for some time that these things are beyond you. Because given the right circumstances and the right amount of pressure, you'd be surprised what any one of us would do in in a right circumstance or in the wrong circumstance under the right amount of pressure. We would all shock ourselves because I don't know my own heart. Do you know your own heart? Don't nod your head because you'd be lying. None of us really know our own hearts. I don't know how I'm going to respond in a circumstance. Do you? A circumstance you've never been in, do you know exactly how you're going to respond? I really don't know. I can talk a big game if I want, but I know in my heart I have no idea. 
until the moment comes. And then the grace is there or it's not. (laughs) Follow me? I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.